Hello, this is Mary. And this is Chandler. And you're listening to The Miss Fisher Files. Welcome back. We just... I don't even know. I don't even know how to begin this. Um, Stuff has gone down. I feel like... I'm in a different world than I was when we yeah. recorded the first episode of I season two. I feel like two. the veil has lifted, and I want the veil back. I liked that veil. <laughs> no matter how artificial, it yeah. felt real nice, and yeah. Is this what it was like after, like, World War One, and people were feeling jaded? I mean, Man. clearly... What happened this month is nowhere near what happened in World War One. <laughs> uh, remains to be seen. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. Um, so you might have heard there was this election. <laughs> you, I mean, and to Americans our listeners. proved themselves to be morons. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I don't know. Based on what I saw on Tumblr, people from all over were pretty, pretty much in solidarity. And I think hopefully, hopefully the rest of the world understands that we are not all like that. Actually, I've had some really kind, kind, kind interactions with people who don't live in America, with Canadians, with Brits, with Australians. And they have, it's very different. I lived overseas during 9-11. In fact, I arrived on September 10th, 2001. So... I, wow. I got to see a really interesting perspective of that. And I lo- flew out of New York and everything. Oh my and gosh. Yeah, it was a crazy story. Um, but I, I got to see how all of the sympathy, international sympathy, withered away when our then president did terrible things. And I was afraid we were going to get a repeat of that international disdain for Americans. And I'm sure there is. Mm-hmm. For, dear God, these people who voted for... Um, puppet monster um but but i think they understand maybe it's because of brexit just happening and them going through a really similar thing i think they understand that we are not all like this and i've had people say very kind things to me good i found this is so bizarre i found it weirdly reassuring that the Brexit thing happened because like, we're okay, not the only yes, idiots. exactly. We're not, we're the, not only the only people who country cut off our noses to spite like our faces. Half of the people who will throw oh, other God. sections of the population under the bus because they are in fear. Way but, to go, white people, male people, old people. Gosh. Thanks, thanks on behalf of all of us. Thank you. I wasn't sure if we should even, like, I wasn't sure how to do this podcast because like you said. Is it, is it possible to talk about anything normally again without starting off with, well, that sucked. Yeah, I, um, there I've were been tears. watching a lot. Oh my gosh. I have, I have bawled. Oh. I still do. Actually, it oh, still yeah. um, oh. catches me off guard. Did you see uh, Kate McKinnon as Hillary Clinton doing Leonard Cohen? Oh my God. Like I cried I, for like two hours after that. Yeah, yeah, I did. And my husband warned me, he's like, the cold open is going to, it's going to get you. So I made sure that I was in the right place. It killed me. Yeah. It, and I still like, if I think about it, yeah. I start tearing no, up. No, for Clint, totally. Yeah. Um, Okay, here's another one that totally was like a knife through the heart just out of nowhere. I'm walking in downtown Seattle. I go past a federal building. There's a giant portrait of Obama hanging above the front desk. Not for long. Right? And I'm like, oh my gosh, 
He's going to be up there. He's going to be in every. It's Back to the Future Part Two, people. Every it is. federal building is going to have a picture of that monster it's hanging It's going to have Biff Tanner. <sighs> yeah, and I so the realization of like just these kind of mundane details that are going to be part of our lives come no. January. I, it's it's like it's just going to be repeated stabbings. I know, and, you know, and really deep paper cuts every I, once in I a while. A, I have a lot of family members who are conservative. Most of them are from my husband's side. I'm sure at least some of them voted for Biff Tanner. Um, <laughs> but it, it's really tough because when, when Obama got elected and then reelected, I remember hearing a lot of grumbling from their side of saying things like, oh, well, he's going to come take our guns and I hope you're happy now, blah, blah, blah. But it's the sort of run-of-the-mill post-election grumbling mm-hmm. if you lost. And right. I have been in that those shoes like 2004 where everyone was like really but this feels different this mm-hmm. is like oh god are we is this 1938 germany like yeah. is that what this is i went which debate was it was it the it might have been the last debate and he was going down all of his bullet points and his platform and i got the feeling in the pit of my stomach of of terror and i was like this can't happen. Yeah, like, I heard him I accept his nomination on the radio and they're <sighs> chanting, lock her up, yeah. lock her up. And I'm like, oh my God, it's the Third Reich. Oh uh, you know, it, the thing that really frightened me was it took less than 24 hours before we started seeing swastikas and yeah. hate speech, graffiti, yep. and really yep. awful, awful things. Awful things are now being and normalized. And that's inauguration terrifying. has not even, the, the Electoral College has not even been certified yet. Like it's, it's already happening. And, and I, I think there are big things we can all do. And, but also, I think the small things really matter. And I, I made a pledge that night out loud to my husband and then later to anyone who would listen. Uh, no more sitting in discomfort when, and letting things slide when relative, like elderly yes. relatives say horrible things. Like, yes. I can say it in a civil manner, mm-hmm. but... There's no more letting it slide. Yep. Like, I will call everything out now. I am not a militant person by yeah, nature. I'm not I'm, either. And I'm, I don't like conflict. Yep. And I'm generally like kind to the point that I probably do myself a disservice. Yeah. I mean, you. you know. It, with you on that. I feel like this took away something, like a filter, a really big yeah. filter that was part of me. Well, that, and I think it's part of being women, being socially conditioned yeah. to oh, make yeah. peace, to totally. smooth things over. And you know what? Excuse my French, but shit's going to go down. Yeah. There will be no peace no. anymore. No. I I am activated. Part of me <laughs> flipped on, like a switch flipped on and was like, oh, okay, that's how it's going to be. And yeah. I don't... I don't feel the shame. I don't feel like I have to apologize. Right. Like there's, there's some of that stuff that got taken away and that's probably healthy. Like it probably shouldn't have been there in the first place, yeah. but because we are conditioned to be, you know, peacemakers, I, I don't care. I don't care. Yeah. And, and yeah, that's a really good pledge. Just don't and I know sit that idly it's a, by. It's a small thing, but I... No, it's like, not I, It's big if you've been conditioned and I yeah. have definitely been, I mean, we all have, but... I think those one-on-one interactions, like... I I applaud people who have gone to the big protests and who are marching and speaking, but I think that one-on-one contact with somebody who has a different viewpoint and opening that up a little bit yeah. actually does more good in the end. Yeah. The the other thing I kind of the other kind of personal resolution I made is 
um, it's one thing to debate with people, but I, I am finding increasingly that debate gets you nowhere. Mm-hmm. And, and I have trouble, I think, especially when you're upset, it's really hard to remember facts or whatever. And you know what? Facts don't sway anybody. People right. aren't interested in hearing facts. <laughs> Obviously. And, and so what I'm more interested in right now is learning polite but persuasive conversation, basically the art of rhetoric. And I would like to actually study that now. Like I'm not interested in debating. I'm interested in, and I'm not interested in evangelism either, but I think actually saying something and having your words have an effect on somebody. There's an art to that. And I, I would like to learn it even in some small way that makes it easier for me to not be tongue tied when I'm upset. Right. Even just to have like one line that you, that can start it out, yeah. that can roll out the whole thing. Yeah. For me, just having any kind of script, even if it's yeah. a few words is helpful yeah. because it's so terrifying. Yeah. And to... we're not, we're not all, we can't all be Franny Fisher with I her have... aplomb and her, her wit and her one-liners. I have been thinking about Franny Fisher as though she's a real person so much since yeah. the election. Doing the what would Franny Fisher do question so often. Yeah. And because, and, and the reason I feel like this, this works with our podcast about this show is because Franny is the savior People for People who don't the, have a voice. People who don't have a voice. All of the marginalized communities. Those are her people. That's who she's looking out for. Mm-hmm. And, and she has the power and the clout to actually do something about it. She knows how to handle it. She knows, she knows how to engage in that rhetoric. Mm. How I wish she was a real person. But in many ways she is. Like I know so many women who I'm just in awe of yeah. for what they, what they have done, what they do, what they will do. Like just, yes, we are all Franny Fisher. <laughs> At least we can all reach for that. And I am a little more cynical. I was actually, I was not that surprised, at least on some level. Like, I really really did think that Hillary would win. But but when it came down to, you know, I I was really cautious about let's Mm -hmm. not celebrate yet. And, you know, like I talked to a neighbor and they're like, yeah, we're going to get, we're going to party. And I'm like, I don't know. Yeah. And then it was you know what what but that day there still was this feeling of high and and this this riding a high and mm-hmm. um i actually gave a talk that day um for our book shameless plug alert i, well, I co-wrote a book yeah it's an amazing book and it's about women and it's about politics and we gave a talk that day about women who have fought for the right to vote women who have run for president in the past women who have pioneered, have paved this way and who have stood in picket lines and campaigned tirelessly and have put up with bullshit from male colleagues who can't stand to be called colleagues. Um, and, and now post election, we're still giving this talk cause we're still kind of on our book tour and we're, we've changed our talk to, now to, to focus on what happens after a defeat? What did mm-hmm. they do? You know, most of the suffragists who fought for the right to vote never got to cast a ballot themselves. Um, Shirley Chisholm lost her presidential bid. Uh, Victoria Woodhull lost her presidential bid. Um, and the list goes on and on. And, you know, Alice Paul never saw the Equal Rights Amendment passed. We haven't either. And and so where do you go from there? And they did. They kept fighting. They kept They kept going. And, and they have made, even though our path is still hard, there is still a lot of work to do. They have made it easier for us. So 
boy, is that ever hard to remember, but yeah, it's Um, all I've got right now. (laughs) Your book is incredible. And the timing, unfortunately, is really good. (laughs) Um, We thought it was going to be like, yeah, we wrote this book and then there's a woman president. I know. And yeah, that's not how it worked out. The book is called Dead Feminists. Um, Chandler is kind of a big deal. Um, in addition to being an amazing artist, she also partners with um, a woman named Jessica Spring, and they do uh, these really cool broadsides, or have for years now. How, how many years? Eight years. Eight uh, years? We actually started just before the 2008 presidential oh election um, with our first broadside. And, and for, for those of you who don't know what a broadside is, which is most people, um, a broadside is the great-great-grandmother of the modern poster. It was the first tool of mass communication um, it start. It became prevalent in the 16th century or in the late 15th century, um, most famously with um, Gutenberg and his printing press and Martin Luther. He brought about mm-hmm. the Reformation with the broadside by plastering treatises up on the walls like, like posters. And what was really interesting was that with the advent of printing, the populace became more and more literate. And so it became people became more readily able to read these things and spread the word. And so they've they've been a political device for hundreds of years. And now they've become an art form. And so it's literally using the power of the press mm-hmm. to try to change the world. So our broadsides, we take quotes by women in history and we tie them into current political and social issues and we make donations to causes that I, align with that. I love that so much. Um, Thanks. So yeah, each one focuses on a dead feminist. Yeah. And it is it is really timely. Every one is different. Um, I mean, completely different and just stunning, each and every one of them. So um, deadfeminist.com? Yeah. Yeah. Deadfeministsplural.com. Plural. Yeah. Um, check it out because I think you'll be amazed and um, maybe somewhat comforted as well. Um, and we also, we with the book, we inaugurated the Dead Feminists Fund. So instead of just making random donations to random causes, we've actually set up a foundation and a portion of the proceeds of the book go towards the fund. That's so great. So thanks to Sasquatch Books for doing that. That was really awesome. Yeah. All right, I'm going to stop. Well, I feel really embarrassed to be plugging <laughs> my own book here. <laughs> it is such a good book, and it, I think, ties in to what we've been talking about. And and I think this is your audience. This, these are your people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and there's book, a lot so. of, you know, a lot of books about women out right now, which is really comforting, and, you know, but it, it's still hard. Like, it's, yeah. you know, the cynical part of me fe- feels a little bit like, there's this undercurrent of, yeah, ladies, you had all these books out, you had your chance, and now it's over. Shut up and get back to it. Get back and, in the kitchen. Yeah. And I think it's going to be, I think it's a big fight is just going to be not shutting up. Yeah. And, and keep going because we've built all this momentum. Let's let's not lose it. Is this the tussle that happens before the actual change? I feel, are we yeah, in, are I feel we like in this that is right the now? extinction burst. Yeah. Like the death knells. Yes. I hope so. I Oh my gosh, I hope so. Because yeah, it is true. Like right before change happens, there is this doubling down period. Right. There is this extinction so burst. So we had our first black president. So then we have to go all Hello, the backlash. way backwards. Yeah. It's like women in the workplace during World War II. And then, oh, backlash, get thee to the kitchen. And, and then and then the following decade, the 60s, it was when the second wave feminism really started. And this idea of, and I may be mixing up my waves here because everybody <laughs> has different definitions and I am just not even going to get into that. But, you know... 
women sort of rose up again after that. That was the era of the bra burning. And so they had about a decade and a half of let's all be white and patriarchal. Uh, and then shit hit the fan again in the mid-60s. I have to hope. I have to hope that this is the death knell. At the risk of sounding completely callous, um, a lot of the people fighting the hardest right now against women, against people of color, against gay people, whatever, are people who are older. Mm-hmm. And they're not going to be around forever. You know, our president-elect is pretty darn old. He's the, he'll be the oldest serving president, I believe. Oldest elected. There, I think there was one who served who was older, but who huh. would, who would like came in after a president died, maybe. Okay. My husband would be all over this. <laughs> he has a degree in this. He'd be like, actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, looking at the demographics from election night was heartening. Uh, yeah, when white you, people, I mean, thank you. Well, no, no. I mean, young, millennials. Right. I yeah, have you hope. Know, you and, and I are both on that cusp. We are both kind of right on the border between Gen X and millennial. Yeah. And I think I'm even more so. Yeah, I'm I think cl- you're, you're more cheat, millennial More than millennial, <laughs> whatever. We're both pretty millennial, though, because we're both entrepreneurs, and mm-hmm. I think we both skew that way. And participate in the gig economy. Yeah, and we and our generation gets a lot of flack for being uninformed or lazy <laughs> yeah. or, or whatever, or the, everyone gets a trophy or uh, who was handing out trophies? Which generation <laughs> was that? Um, <laughs> but I, I, for all of that flack, I think we voted the right way as a block. Mm-hmm. I, I think we we have shown where this is going, even if it isn't now. Right. Um, yeah. And and guess what? Now we are the ones who are coming of age and becoming the economic power mm-hmm. in the country. We are the ones who are starting to fill the higher positions. We are the ones. So the shift of power is happening and a lot of it is just time. <sighs> yeah. <sighs> Let's just I... hope too, not too many things get screwed up. Oh my gosh, <laughs> that's the thing. In that in that time we are going to go back so far. Yeah. So well, okay. There's what are we our, here to talk about? I again? know there's our election stuff. I was not nearly as uh, sorry, eloquent as sorry, I'd hoped boys to be. and girls and mostly girls. I think, I think on the uh, on the show notes or something, I'll put in like, okay, the show starts at this point. Yeah. If, if, if you, you don't want to hear, if you don't want to commiserate, or if you are in the that unlikely demographic of you're a Franny Fisher fan <laughs> and you voted for Trump, <laughs> all three of you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I hope it's not even three. I hope it's oh, zero. It's, but yeah, yeah. I don't want to think about it. Anyway, yeah. Skip past this part and go to the show. Um, okay. So, I wrote down the title this time. Death comes knocking. Yeah. So season two, episode two. Um, I think we typically give some pathetic attempt at a recap. Do you do you want to do it? Uh, there's a séance. There's some grisly World War One deaths. There's some mustard gas. There's some PTSD. And there's three murders. The and. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so um, this one really focuses on the war. Yeah. And on, like, I mean, we see actual battle scenes. In the past, we've seen maybe, yeah. uh, I think we've had a couple flashbacks. Yeah, but maybe we just some one, heavy actually. flashback action in this. And I got to say, I, I've seen a lot of World War One business because... 
my husband's really into history and I, we both love period pieces in general, but I feel like I've seen these exact scenes in mm-hmm. other movies. Like it's like getting stock caught footage. up in the razor wire. <laughs> Didn't that happen in legends of the fall? Oh, right. And yeah. And, and it all does blend together. There's um, so many trench warfare movies. So many, this has been well-trodden ground it for is. a long time. But I have to say, every time I see that, I am blown away by how oh, yeah. gruesome and just terrifying. Like, to actually be there in the trenches, I can't, I really can't imagine. And then you yeah. have so many people who are there and are, I mean, doing it right now too. Yeah. How do you go back to society and function normally again? And like, it, how? I think part of it is that, is, part of it is that A, it's never normal again. Yeah. B, I think humans can learn to live with a really skewed sense of normal. Like what we call normal really isn't. And I think that harkens back to the election. Like people are already normalizing this stuff. And my husband and I had our honeymoon in Normandy. (laughs) And so we went to some of the sites from World War I. And, you know, we saw the beaches and la, 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 la. But what really sticks out in my mind was there was this day we were out in the countryside and um, we were standing in a field somewhere and we had a friend, we have a very good friend who's French named Gilles and Gilles was telling us about the the iron harvest basically where they're still, farmers are still finding stuff. And so I'm looking around, I kind of look around into this field and I see a dairy cow standing pretty close by in front of what used to be a concrete bunker hmm. from the war. And, um, and you know, and it's interesting because they've now had two wars because like the beaches from Normandy were from World War II, but they're still finding stuff from World War I. And it's all, there's a lot of similarity. Hmm. Um, and it, it's, it's been completely normalized. Like there's a cow fence around this old bunker. Right. And there's cows in front of it and everything, but you're looking at this horrifying thing and knowing what it was from is jarring, mm-hmm. really, really jarring. And as Americans, we have not had a war like that on our own soil in 150 years and never to that extent. So it's weird to think about. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, I, I hear you definitely about the, the footage looking the same, but it's the... I don't know. I think it makes me more um, empathetic mm-hmm. or more compassionate to think about what that would have been like to go and, and through that. Such, and then, yeah, I mean, all war is terrible, but I think there was, we really, humanity really did some awful things <sighs> in World War One. I, I mean, yeah. they, this was the first, this was really the beginning of modern chemical warfare. We see the effects of mustard gas in mm-hmm. this with Freddie, and it's absolutely awful yeah, we were, how he lives with that. Yeah. That he lived it all is miraculous. Um, I feel like we were using everything we had in science and yeah. I- in the worst possible ways, like finding the worst uses for all of these new developments. Brand new razor wire technology. <sighs> and and this was also the last war that horses were present. Mm-hmm. So it was, it was the meeting of old warfare with new modern warfare, and the results were just horrifying just absolutely horrific and i i can't even imagine the people who and no no wonder no wonder there was a decade of jaded hedonism after that because dear god how else do you carry on with life after something like that yeah 
We are so, such Debbie Downers I know, I today. Know. I'm oh. so sorry. This, <laughs> okay. So, so I read like all of these British novels growing up yeah. and they focus a lot. I mean, it's the same time period. Yeah. So a lot about World War One, and I never really got it. And seances were often part of it. Mm-hmm. And I never really got that either until this episode. Yeah. And I realized, of course, if you have this entire... Everybody had at least one right. dead person that they cared about. And why wouldn't you want to talk yeah. to them? Unfinished business. Mm-hmm. They Most of them just went off and never came back. <sighs> so for most people, they never even got the even terrible closure of seeing someone die in the battle, but like they never got to see that person again. They went away and they just never returned. Yeah. I thought it was so strange, like that these seances kept cropping up in my, in the books that I was reading and yeah, yeah, now I totally get it. And I was doing some reading on Victorian spiritualism. Mm. And so, uh, Arthur Conan Doyle. Yes. I wrote that down. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. This is a rabbit hole that I went down. Um, bringing up my notes here. Yeah, he wrote The Lost World in the early 20s, I believe. Um, it was one of his later works. Okay. I think that's right, because he lost a son in 1918 and got into spiritualism himself. Yeah. So I th- he got into it, I think, in the 1880s. Oh, yeah. When okay. it was pretty new. So it had just um, the British Society for Psych- Psychical Research um, had started in Cambridge, yeah. and he was a member of that. Yes. What an interesting time. It was right when I think people were kind of losing their spiritual faith. Like, it was less um, scandalous, I think. Yeah, the world was be... much more secular mm-hmm. at that point. And then there was also like metaphysical stuff and lots yep. of science happening. And so these two very, I mean, they, they almost seem like the opposite ends of the spectrum, like yeah. rational thinking versus spiritualism Yeah. Combined. Well, this was coming on the heels of the Enlightenment, so, the Victorian Enlightenment era. It's just such an interesting time period. And all of the things that came out of that are fascinating. And then they, and they continue for like decades. And see above what we were just talking about, like massive sweeping change followed by a backlash. Yeah. I mean, this is, this is what humans do. We take two <laughs> steps forward and one step back. And in a lot of different ways, interesting ways. What I had written was, um, you know, it looks like you got into Victorian spiritualism and I looked up its revival in the twenties hmm. and it really came back, particularly after World War One, like we were talking about people had lost people. Apparently Arthur Conan Doyle later in life got really into spiritualism, like he lost a son in nineteen eighteen. Um and so he kind of revived his interest in the, quote, ghost clubs that were popular. Um, and apparently he wrote The Lost World out of, inspired by some of this stuff. I, I don't know a lot about this. But the other thing that, that happened was, um, you know, Houdini mm-hmm. came to prominence in the 1920s. Mm-hmm. Um, Hans Mesmer was yeah. one of the early spiritualists in the Victorian era. Mesmerizing <laughs> yes. came from him. Um there also was, in 1917, there was this massive, massive hoax. The hoax of the Cottingley fairies. Do you know about this? Yes. It was like the first Photoshop. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, people created these absolutely beautiful images of young girls with fairies. Mm-hmm. And they were paper cutouts, but they were lit in such a way and photographed in such a painstaking way that they looked absolutely real. And people were 
absolutely convinced by these things. I think this was 1917 when the first ones appeared. Um, and they are the inspiration of the novel Little Big by mm. John, um, John Crowley. Is that his name? Um, if you've ever, it's a, it's a great book. It's really, really dense, but it's beautifully <laughs> written and it's all about the fairy world. What if it's real? Um, but yeah, people were really into this stuff like, like Egyptian design. And and the other thing, I think this episode is a nod to one of the most famous spiritualists who is, you know, I think she, I think she got into trouble for hoaxes, but Madame Helen Blavatsky was a Russian spiritualist who started up her work in like 1875 and I think this is the the yes the okay. inspiration for Madame Bolkonsky. Bolkonsky. <laughs> but what's it, <laughs> Mrs. Baloney? <laughs> yes. I wondered Bert. about that if she was based on an actual person. So that's really cool. I think she is. Yeah, yeah. It would make sense. I mean, that's how the, I, the show yeah, tends to do that. Yeah, if you look up photos of Madame Blavatsky, um, <laughs> she even has the little like the headband around oh, her wow. headscarf around her hair. It's that was the uniform. Right? <laughs> Must be. The seer uniform. Yeah, lots of gaudy jewelry and <laughs> yeah. Did you look at the book that Sess is reading in the kitchen? No. Um I was looking at the uh the dishes. It's blue willow, which we have in our house. <laughs> of course. And I'm like, of course, yet another period piece with blue willow dishware because we we just have to have the most common as dirt. It's so common even we have it at our house. <laughs> <laughs> so so yeah, Sess is reading the book in the kitchen and it ha- I looked it up to see if it was a real book and it is not, but it is very, very similar to a book that was actually written by Mesmer. Interesting. So <clears throat> yeah, I think, and then I got to thinking like, how did they make the fake book? Got yeah, <laughs> like the that's props a good department. De- I mean, I I didn't even I didn't even register it because you know usually I'm like that's not a real magazine from the eighteen <laughs> like that normally would be so high up on my radar, but I didn't even notice it, which I think means I took it for granted as being real. Yeah, well, it looked very real. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. I paused. I'm like, wait a second. I'm gonna look that up. You know, there was another. I don't think it's on anymore because I live under a rock, so I don't really know. But um, <laughs> there, for a while, there was a, a Penn and Teller had a show. Yeah, called Bullshit. Oh, I didn't. Okay, it no. was on like was it on. It was on like HBO on, like, or PBS Cinemax a million years ago. It was on like it was on one of the pay. Oh, okay. Because they swore a lot. So oh yeah, well not um, PBS then. And the show was called <laughs> Bullshit. Yeah. Um, right. But they they used to. It was interesting because they're magicians and they do illusions, but the show was like um, Houdini, who was a famous debunker. Um, they debunked stuff in, in that spirit of Houdini used to go around um, and debunk spiritualists, hmm. which is funny because he made his living off of fooling people with illusions. Right. But I think he'd never, I think he he never tried to get people to believe it was actually real. Hmm. I think it was for entertainment. And and there's all these things that are like that, like the prestige or like the illusionist and mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. Um, but Houdini was famous for going around and debunking sham spiritualists and showing how they did all this stuff. And so the Penn and Teller show was kind of a revival of that. And one of the things they went into was spiritualism and Ouija boards and seances and everything. And, and they said exactly what... Um, basically, what is his name? Warwick Hamilton 
said, which was, there's no shortage of bereft customers ripe for the picking. And, mm-hmm. and that's true. That is always true. And that's who these people, the worst of these people, the right. ones who are not in it for entertainment, but who actually want to dupe people. That's, right. what, that's who they go for. They sure. go for the vulnerable people who've lost somebody. Yeah. So, and even Mr. Hamilton has, you know, he, he, he took up with, you know, Madame Baloney, <laughs> as Bert calls her, uh, because he lost his twin brother mm-hmm. in, in the Psalm. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, he comes into it for the same reason. And, and Aunt P, who I wouldn't have previously thought would be into this, is so, so into, into it. it. And she was just like, oh, she's come from by popular demand. I mean, that's hilarious. She's I know. Even, Aunt P. She's been quoting the posters. She was one of the select few that Madame Volkonsky chose. That's hilarious. And I love Franny. The psychic equivalent of winning a chook raffle. I know. <laughs> and the, the look, the restrained oh, yes. look that Jack gives her at that was... Really, really so, good. Yeah, there are some great looks. I mean, there's some great one-liners in this. Yeah. I wrote a lot of quotes down. Me too. And and the whole thing about well, I don't, I'm jumping around now, but yeah, the, let's do it. <laughs> um, the whole thing about Jack and the sandwich and yes. that just cheese ball moment where she says, "Your greatest passion is <laughs> near at hand," and then all of us viewers are like, "Well, duh." <laughs> I like um, how Nathan Page holds up the plate of oh, sandwiches. Yeah. Unless it's these sandwiches, which are our particular favorite. Yeah. And it's just like his, it's like he's in a commercial. It's so yeah, perfectly right? done. <laughs> and Franny's eavesdropping in the, in the hallway there. Yeah, that was, oh, ham, cheese, and mustard pickle sandwiches. I read your mind. Very good. <laughs> They're so, just, yeah, and they're, she's in the, and Friday's in the background of that shot yes. listening to it. So let's talk about um, like a few moments before that where yeah. Madame Bolkonsky like, yeah, is talking to Jack and no one else is in the room. She's except the ham Franny's in his ham sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> and so, but before that, there's still a lot of people in the room, in the yeah. dining room, including Friday. And Madame Bolkonsky looks at his, at Jack's hand and says, um, True love must never be denied. And then he looks over at Franny and then was like, oh, wait, I can't look at her. You're right, right, right. And then, but her reaction is really interesting because she looks sort of uncomfortable, like really uncomfortable. Well, yeah, because she, who knows how she feels later, but at least right now, she's not signing up for true love with anybody. She's made that very clear, abundantly clear. Yeah. I am not, I'm not signing up for true love. Yeah, like an unnerving un- and unconscious react. Well, I think unconscious reactions are often the most telling. Anyway, mm-hmm. um, yeah, and he catches himself when he does it. But I did, I did, I did have to roll my eyes because it, it, it did kind of break that. You know, we're we're having our slow boil, simmering flirting that's mm-hmm. fun, and then Madame Madame Baloney oh, comes it? in and and. Clang, you dropped something really obvious there. You know, like it's just calls out the massive elephant that needs to remain there for yeah. the series to continue. It's uh, wonderful. Yeah. Frisson. Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah. From like a storytelling, you know, story arc standpoint, it was probably a little too much right then. Right. But I don't care. Give me more. It was fantastic. <laughs> I loved it. Yeah. Yeah. And this one, I mean, I actually think that these, 
that season two has a lot of um, fun, like banter and it just, it gets, it goes a little further with everything. The flirting has been turned up to 11. Yeah. I think it's all amped up and from the flirting comes this really great banter, which that is apparently based on my notes. That is all I care about with this show is the banter. That's it. I have a mile long of menswear, both this episode and the next one. Yes, I figured it's the like next a one. Menswear Palooza. I know the next one. I was. I'm very excited to hear your take on the menswear. I think even even this one has some great. What great did you stop? So what did you notice? Oh, tons of things. Let's see. Um, Mr. Warwick Hamilton is is his first name must be Warwick then. It's yeah Warwick. Oh, okay. Yeah. Warwick, Warwick Hamilton. Well, okay, usually if it's pronounced Warwick, there's another W in there mm-hmm. because I lived in Rhode Island and there's, but they pronounce it Warwick, so, but <laughs> <laughs> classy Rhode Island. Um, <laughs> Mr. Hamilton is, you know, we're so used to seeing Jack in his very understated um, ties and gray suits. And he has, and I actually did a little drawing of Jack in his layers, his kind of V shaped layers of gray, light gray trench coat, medium gray suit, darker gray waistcoat. And then the, then the tie gorgeous. (laughs) But then we have Mr. Hamilton is a little more showy, just a Mm -hmm. little bit. He's got a very subtle Brown pinstripe suit that is gorgeous. This kind of Brown on Brown wool, Hmm kind of tweedy, beautiful. Um, but I don't think it, it's, it can't be tweedy because it looks like it's Italian wool. It's beautiful. And then his waistcoat is very, very high. Um, even for that era, they're already pretty high. But that waistcoat, his the V of his waistcoat is like just below his collarbone. It's huh. really high. And um, and he's got that kind of rich tomato red tie with that tie tack. It's just gorgeous and so put together and he's kind of a bigger guy so it really looks mm-hmm. beautiful on him um and then we have freddie in his ascots including <laughs> a leopard print ascot oh my god it's so awesome <laughs> and then freddie's got with that he's got paired this kind of sagey bluey sage green waistcoat with a twill wool blazer that is so beautiful hmm. very subtle um and then we see Jack in my favorite black and gray striped tie, which I love, that wool tie. But he has a blue and gray version that he wears <laughs> later. So good. And then the valet. What's his name? Larry. Larry, Larry the valet. Um, he, I think it was a great detail that he is so impeccably pressed and tailored. Like his, um, one thing that my husband and I are always griping about is modern men in suits always have their sleeves too long. Hmm. You're supposed to show a half inch to an inch of cuff, shirt cuff. Oh. And people these days don't because they're idiots and they all wear circus tents. But <laughs> Eddie Murphy in Trading Places knows how to wear a suit. Okay. <laughs> Random thought. But the, the valet is wearing this beautiful three-piece gray suit and his cuffs are the perfect length. Everything is impeccably wow. pressed. His collar is absolutely pressed to a T. And it would be. He's a valet. He's a valet, yeah. He thinks of this stuff. Right. I thought that was a really great detail huh. to include. So, yeah. I, I love his character. I don't know. I mean, he's not in... He's interesting. He's... And that's that another is- World War I detail because it was very... That was the last war where wealthy men who would have been the officers, that almost Mm -hmm. always was how it worked out, wealthy men took their valets with them into battle and their valets put on uniforms and they were their batmen 
That's so bizarre. On the field. And that was that is a heavily documented part of that history. And um Tolkien did it. Tolkien huh. brought his valet to World War One and and that's where the character of the characters of Frodo and Sam came from was oh. the officer and his Batman. Oh, that's fascinating. Yeah. And and so huh. we see some of this here too. He was the valet slash Batman for this horrible guy. Yeah. And he did it to, to protect this woman who he had known since birth. I mean, it's sad, but really interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the way the um, murders played out, I once again only partially followed the whole thing. I don't. I know that there are three murders because they said there were three murders at the end. They take but, stock at the end. <laughs> But I'm still not... Three murders, three murders. I'm still not entirely so clear. She, uh, Maud, kills the uh, cemetery guy, Bernie Potts. Oh, right. By accident. By oh, accident. yeah. I can't believe and I forgot which, him. Also, like, in that scene, if you watch it again and try to imagine this little tiny lady whacking the guy with a crowbar, like, it just doesn't work. Yeah. So, whatever. Okay. So also, she, wow, way to, like, puncture a tomato, oh. like... Ooh. That was so, yeah, it's, that's hard to watch as Awful. it's happening. I had to fast forward through it this time. I didn't want to see it again. <laughs> no, it's, it's I've seen it. Gross. I've seen that episode more than once already, and I'm yeah. like, okay, fast forward. <laughs> so she does that one, and then uh, Larry, Larry the Valet? Larry the Valet kills Rolly the first time. Right. Oh, so old stale murder. Oh, and then Mrs. Bolkonski kills, kills Freddy, Freddy with the virgin's tears. Solved. Yeah, he did it. <laughs> I love Franny's reaction to the, fr- the the to the version series. She's like, "Holy water!" I like, know. She how does that tiresome. She does that thing with her voice. That's great. How tiresome! <laughs> At the very beginning, the cold open where they're in the seance and they're going around the room, and Rolly is saying hi to everybody, and Mrs. Balkonski says, "Oh, and dear Franny is here too," and she's like, "Hello, Rolly." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Like, yeah, because clearly up. he was a twat even when yeah. he was when he was small. The yes, whole he have, Rolly knew how to choose his victims. In my in my character notes, I have bully, abusive husband, dick. <laughs> <laughs> that yeah. is nice. Um, I also have a whole. I now have my costume notes. Now I've taken to set to dividing them into menswear and womenswear mm. because because yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot, and there's a lot of womenswear business oh, in this. Yes, we yes, have yes. the stereotypically gaudy outfits of of Madame Baloney, um, with the the mauve velvet dress and that stupid headband. <laughs> like she wears that in every scene. It's gotta go again. Uniform. Yeah, and at the beginning, what I wrote down, what, underlined, what is Aunt P wearing? Giant bow. That's right. What is that? I forgot about that. Yeah. Wow. Aunt P, I feel like she has like three dresses. She's wearing a bunch this. of stuff in this. Yeah. She's got that, that big, huge bow dress at the beginning. But I mean, like, across the whole series, or I feel like she only owns three, but then but she, she has, has a bunch of blouses in this. Yeah. Yeah. Then later she's wearing like these striped cuffs that I thought were interesting. Hmm. And then what else? Um, then she wears this beautiful pearl gray top with, I think it's a feather pattern. Right. Um, yeah. That one's really nice. Yeah. I like that one. Yeah. And um, we see some Franny repeats in this, like that stupid autumn, that autumn toned 
embroidered thing that you and I didn't yes. like last time we saw it. Dislike. Um, sort of half kimono, sort yeah. of like flowy. Yeah. Don't like it. Yeah. Um, but at the end, she wears this massive coat that I think really works in a weird way. Is that the one she way. wears to the cemetery? Is it like it's got black, black sequins? Black fur trim and yeah. then it's got like... And it's, it's really big. It's like a winter coat. It's like but purple like and green, dark tones. Yeah. Is that it? Okay. Yeah. And it's more autumn tony, but it works. I feel like it works. And maybe yeah. because it's big and swingy and I, cru- I, that Cruella DeVille look just really works for her. <laughs> it is a Cruella DeVille coat for sure. <laughs> I didn't like it. And I think it's because of the the purple and the, the green. Like they just, I don't know. I, yeah. But it's a beautiful coat. It totally works with the outfit. I love that she wears it to the cemetery. Yeah. As you do. Um, <laughs> of course. With That's what I wear. Trim. I have huge yeah. bling coats. My... Um, so two of my favorite outfits, I have so many. Mm. So, you know, saying two of my favorites is like nothing. Uh, yeah. Anyway, um, two of my favorites of her outfits are in this episode. Uh-huh. And the one that she's wearing at the very beginning, I love. It's the mesh, black mesh blouse. Yes. With like, so there's a lace camisole underneath. And then under that is a black bra. There are three, oh. two, three layers, two of which are transparent. And I love it. It's super hot. She looks Totes. amazeballs. Totes my goats. But also, I think it's perfect for this episode because it's got, it's dark, but it's also transparent. Like yeah. it's sheer. You can kind of see, kind of can. she does that a lot. She wears a lot of very sheer, but dark mm-hmm. sheer things. Yes. She can, it would have been, I think, very, even for the 20s, which was very permissive, I think even for then, it would have been pretty fashion forward and very... Yeah, it's pretty risque. I mean, to, you can you, you can to, see the outline of... Guts. Like, I wouldn't wear that now. Like, I'm not yeah, gutsy I, enough to wear that I now. I wouldn't either, but that's not saying much. I'm pretty, yeah, I'm pretty I'm timid with my fashion. In our long sleeve, <laughs> like... Yeah. When I went shopping for a wedding dress, I asked them if they had any that had, like, a turtleneck. I ordered my wedding dress <laughs> online because... I I had one hour at a store and I wasn't even looking for a white wedding. I like wanted a colored dress, yeah. like a bridesmaid dress. And I just one hour of trying on dresses was so awful. I cried. Yeah. So I'm like, screw that. And yep. I ordered an orange dress online and had it altered and it was awesome. <laughs> you had an orange wedding orange dress? dress? I love that. It was so good. I want to see totally a picture worked. of that. Yeah, I'll bring you pictures. I'd love to see that. That's so funny. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, she's, it is, it, I think it's a very risque outfit because of the transparency of two of the, the three top pieces, but it's so perfect for this episode yeah. where you're like going, you know, seeing into the unseen and unseeable and it's just, you can see me. <laughs> <laughs> it's very uh, theme accurate. So what's your other favorite oh, one? Oh, the other one is the beautiful chiffon blouse she wears the next morning. The, is that the gray it's with the, the dots? the gray with the dots. Yeah, and I wrote that, that down. that thing makes me drool. And it's like, got piping I, around the collar, yes. which is really lovely. Yeah. And then she wears it with that straw hat. And then she has these pentagonal earrings that she wears with hmm. it that are just beautiful. They, they look almost like snowflakes, but they're little pentagons. Oh, little yeah. pentagonal right, crystals. Right, right. And it's got like open um, sleeves. So they kind of yes. flutter. And then, so I love, gloves, I love, gloves. yes, and the gloves. Um, and then she goes to Jack's office. And this is my favorite Franny sits on Jack's desk scene <laughs> because she's wearing that giant white fur. The stole. This, yeah. yeah. The fur, the ermine stole. It's 
it's beautiful. I mean, I'm not, I'm not cool with wearing fur and stuff, but that thing's beautiful. Anyway, she just sprawls over his desk. It's like she is draped over the entire desk. It's so funny. Mm. And I, I just love thinking of her like walking into the room and sitting on the desk and just like arranging everything. Yeah. It's so perfect. But yeah, I have all a f- of the sitting on Jack scene, totally. desk scenes, it's my favorite. I think that's a good one. I have a really good fur story that is, um, I think Franny would really approve. So <laughs> I have a very dear friend who has some fur and they're vintage. She inherited mm. them, I think. And I, I'm a fur agnostic. I'm, I'm not going to go, I will buy a utilitarian. Like when I lived in Minnesota, I had a utilitarian fur hat because sometimes you need it, but I'm not going to buy like a modern fur coat, but you know, vintage fur exists and I'm not mm-hmm. going to turn my nose up at that. But my, my friend who has these vintage furs, she gets them, she has them cared for by this woman who is like, do you ever see the Gilmore girls? The Emily Gilmore's private stylist is this woman with this ridiculous accent and she's this tall and she wears head wraps and she's okay. like, Oh, it's Natalie Wood. Like, <laughs> a woman like that services my friend's furs. Wow. And, but she's from Russia or somewhere in Eastern Europe and she has this thick accent. And my friend was really, um, worried about, living in Seattle and owning vintage furs. And, you know, what if I ever wear these? Are people going to throw paint at me? And the woman said, no, what you do is you have to perfect the art of giving them the cold look and saying, don't you know it's faux? (laughs) (laughs) And of course it isn't faux, but if you can carry it off the whole, like, I love that. I can't believe you don't know that it's faux. (laughs) (laughs) They're doing amazing things with faux fur these days. And I just... I just think of Franny. That's really great. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. That's a very... I can see Franny being like, oh, don't you know? Yeah. She would, <laughs> Can't you tell Fofer from the real thing? <laughs> she would knock down a whole line of women just with one glance oh, and right. one... Yeah. And then she'd like hike up that stole and just flounce off. Like, yeah. <laughs> that's really funny. That stole is gorgeous. I would not it mind is. running my hands it over is. that I, thing. Yeah. I don't have the... I couldn't... Like... Like so many other things Franny wears, I, I'm going to stick with my little hoodie over here, but <laughs> it, it's nice to fantasize about mm-hmm. a vintage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and she just takes so much pleasure in what she wears. Which It's like I mean, what she said to Dot. Yeah. Like, you dress first and foremost for, for yourself. yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And she clearly does, and she enjoys it. And there's a certain pleasure in watching somebody enjoy what yeah. they're wearing, yeah. you know, and enjoy their life in general. Yeah. Which is why I watch this show, so... And banter. That's the other reason I watched right. the show, apparently. Right. Um, yeah, okay. So that oh, was... Oh, and is it mm. that dress that she wears the huge paste pendant with the emerald, like the fake... Yeah. Or is that a different one? I think it's a different I one. I don't remember it. Yeah. She has this massive paste emerald pendant that she wears that she wears a, a different, a slightly different colored version mm. of in the next episode. Okay. Yeah. She's, she can really, it's interesting. She has this interesting mix of real jewelry and then this costume jewelry that is also, she can really pull off. I think it's really a great combination. Oh, Aunt P also wears a really nice dress towards the end. She has this dark brown dress, but she has this lace collar that goes way down. It's almost like a sailor collar. Hmm. And then she has matching lace um, cuffs that match that. Aunt P has a little bit of style. Yeah. The sailor stuff is coming in to the the costumes. Yeah. Why? We see a lot of sailor collars. Yeah. Well, and, and the next episode especially, which makes sense. Definitely. They go seaside, to the seaside. But, but, but what, 
why is that? Like, what was going on in the world that, was it World War I influenced Maybe, like everything else? I think it's more that ladies' fashion in the 20s was much more masculine or mm-hmm. much more androgynous, shall we say, because having a figure was discouraged. They were figure hiding. They had very straight waists. And I think that sailor collar, that very square, blocky, drapey thing kind of plays into that. I think it's more of that androgynous look because hmm. is it a sailor suit? Is it a, Is it for women? Is it for men? I think that plays into it more mm-hmm. than the wars. That's that just my sense. guess. Yeah, no, that's, that makes sense. That's a guess. Oh, and then the silver sex robe. Oh, yes, of course. That is the post-coital. Is it post or is it pre? Well, Do they get to it or don't they? <laughs> they, I think Does when we see them. Does she discover the shrapnel at the end? Or are I think they still so. in foreplay at that point? No, Do I you believe, think it's post? I believe it's already happened. Okay. We are seeing... Yes. The, yeah, I think Franny would get business done before she raises mm-hmm. any doubts. Yeah. I mean, if she's smart, right? I think she didn't have time to notice the shrapnel wounds because it just <laughs> happens. The, uh, what do they say? The magnetism ran between them. I believe in radio waves and electricity and magnetism. Or the energy that flares between two independent spirits. However, briefly. I'll never say no to that. <laughs> or whatever it is that she says. I like, I thought it was an interesting line when um, he's still in bed and he says, well, we can blame it on that moon. And she said, well, if you need something to blame it on, I never do. And I thought that was a really cool line. That was so like, like, I'm not going to apologize. Yeah. Like, you go, you find whatever no justification you need, but I'm good. <laughs> it's it's like people who it, I find endlessly wearying when you're at a party and other people's anxiety around food spills over. Oh, yeah. And people are like, oh, I shouldn't have this brownie, but, or, oh, I'll need to do penance. But then I'm like, Jesus, you're at a holiday party. Just <laughs> eat the damn brownie and shut up about it. Like, <laughs> I'm sure I've been guilty of that once or twice, but yes, it is very tiresome and I, I try really hard not to say that yeah. anymore and I and I, it's, it's hard not to read into it as a I feel guilty about having this brownie mm-hmm. and you should too yes and yes. I really have a problem with that there's a, a judgment there yeah and I feel like that that happens with sex too uh-huh. like oh it was a lapse in judgment what were you thinking right. or are you just slutty like yeah uh, you know and I I'm glad she nipped that she, in the bud. Oh, she like, totally go did. Franny, like, because I have a really low threshold for that stuff too, and mm-hmm. and I'm not nearly as good at articulating <laughs> it as she is. <laughs> oh, another book that I think I have mentioned in the past: Dorothy Sayers' mm. Strong Poison. So mm. I have mentioned it because that is when um, Lord Peter Whimsey meets Harriet Vane. And the two of them are a fantastic literary detective couple. Mm. Um, are they actually a couple or are they just, or is it like a flirty? It's a flirty, yeah. <laughs> slow burn. Yep. Very similar, mm, yes. Genre um, trope. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. And it's so well written and the characters are great. But anyway, the reason I bring it up this time is because there is a fantastic seance scene in it that's mm. sort of integral to the plot. And I, yeah. I just I want to plug that book too. It's so good. I love Strong Poison by Dorothy Sayers. You know the same the same dear friend who has the the fur is a huge fan of mis- period mystery novels. Huge Lord Peter fan. Mm. Does not like Franny Fisher. Interesting. It's interesting. And and I I had Thanksgiving with her and her mother in fact, huh. and they both love mysteries, love period, are very knowledgeable about period stuff. Have no patience for Miss Fisher's murder mysteries. 
Really? So why? They find it to be too oversimplified and over the top. <laughs> and they're not a fan of the acting either. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> But it's interesting to have another point of view. That really is. Yeah, we yeah. kind of talked. That was, we didn't talk politics at Thanksgiving because we had a whole room full of liberals. But we did talk, uh, we did debate the acting in <laughs> Miss Fisher's Murder Mysteries. That's that was really how we, funny. and I was like. <gasps> That's intense enough. It right was. And, I'm, and I tried to practice my like how to be polite with people who disagree <laughs> muscles. That's really funny. <laughs> I recommended the first book, um, Cocaine Blues, to my book club. Mm. And there were, were people like, who did not like yeah, it at all. Yeah. And yes, I was, I, I told myself like, okay, prepare yourself. There might be people who don't like it. And then, then the other side of me was like, no, everyone will love it this. It happens to me a lot. Like I, you know, when I like something, I tend to really love it. And mm-hmm. I used to be really quite an evangelist for whatever, like, or not, not even like you should watch this, but like, here's a thing that you might like, but it's pretty rare that people agree with me actually. Really? On the whole. Yeah. Yeah. And so... Hmm. Yeah, like I was waxing on about scandal before, and yes, everyone watched, that I've everyone that I've inter- that I've introduced that show to has been like, I don't know why you like that show. <laughs> okay, I feel really bad, but um, I watched two yeah, episodes, and, you're like, and I'm I don't like, know why you like that eh. show. But I think it's because it came to me through the world of Miss Fisher, and so I had yeah. hoped. You, you have know. to go back to America's like American version of what feminism is. It's pr- kind of hard. Yeah. But if you kind of take it for what it is, it's pretty darn feminist. Yes. In context, but I, I definitely hear that. But yeah, like I'll it, keep I'll this keep, happens over and I'll over keep again. Chipping away at it happens scandal. with Miss Fisher. I've recommended to people, and they're like, uh, yeah, no, yeah, that's all right. To each and don't own, even get me started on how much crying I have done over watching the Gilmore Girls reboot and the joy, and I love it. And I think it's perfect, and even with the controversial ending, I think it's perfect. I and don't I, know anything about that. I actually don't know much about it at all, to, except you, I know that I am in the target demographic yeah, because you are. Every you are. I will platform say, of social media is forcing it down my throat right now. I will say, resist. Don't read anything. Don't watch the reboot until you fall down the rabbit hole of okay. the original, because the reboot will make no sense. Okay. I watched part of the original, and um, I think I enjoyed it. It's been so long. I kind of don't even remember it. So yeah, yeah I, if I, if I watch the reboot, I will go all the way back. Yeah. And, you have to, because yeah. they spend so much time. Some would say too much time painstakingly reintroducing every oh. single character, okay. major, minor, peripheral cameo, what have you. They're all in the reboot except for the ones who died. Okay. Um, right. I, so I have, so you have to see the original before you okay. see it. This makes me think of the upcoming Miss Fisher movies. Have you heard the news? I have heard a little bit from you, and I think you were talking to my husband about this. I think yes, you I chatted was. about this. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Because he's also, behind. He has been searching too, but he's been like, I think he's still holding out hope for a series. But yeah, I don't. That's looks like it's not going to happen. I'm pretty sure. I mean, I'd love yeah. nothing more than series four, but I think that I have to, I have to let that rest because um, they have been talking for a long time about a feature film, but now it looks like it's going to be a trilogy, kind of in oh. the Indiana Jones style where there's like far-flung exotic locales right. and, you know, mysteries. High budget. And, yes, high budget. And so they are um, <coughs> going to L.A. in January to mm. 
I assume find some funding. I don't, I don't actually know what the business is that they are doing, Yeah, but, um, that has to be part of it. Find studio backing, I guess. Yeah, I think so. So the producers and SE Davis are doing that in January and then they, um, it sounds like they're going to start filming next year, like in June of 17 and then are planning for a Christmas release. No, 18, 2018. I know, I know, but at least it's something like there was for so long for like a year there's just been like tiny little snippets that aren't yeah. official that everyone's like, oh my gosh, maybe. And I know it takes time. I know. Yeah, I, I know. know it takes time, but. Uh. But it makes me feel better that something has been announced. Something is going to happen. Like yeah. if you go as far as to announce it, there's something, yeah. you know. I mean, I know Essie Davis yeah. signed on and then a lot of people, especially on Tumblr, Tumblr were like, oh no, is Nathan Page not going to be? Because they didn't, they didn't mention him at all initially, but now the producers have come back and said, oh yeah, yeah. You know, the that's how cast. the Gilmore Girls reboot was. Like it snowballed. It started really? out with just the two girls and mm. then and then there were a lot of people who were like, well, I'm not in it or no one asked me. And then there was this public outcry and then by the end, <gasps> they are all in it. All of them. Wow. All of them. So the public outcry worked, eh? I think so. Okay. I, Noted. Yeah. I mean, these are... <laughs> people who are beloved even like the most peripheral characters are beloved because they're wackos um (laughs) yeah i and i feel like as millennials we are we were raised by pop culture and i Mm. think that has been the case not just for our generation i feel like gen xers were also raised by pop culture and even one could argue the baby boomers but Mm, yeah but when we you and i were little kids the advent of vhs happened that was when (laughs) People like owning movies, owning home releases of things really became a thing. It became a popular thing. And so I feel like I've lived my whole life around waiting for release dates. <laughs> so when I was five, it was waiting for that Disney movie to come out on VHS. And then, my God, when you're five, waiting, you know. Oh, that's funny. That's we got, true. We got, our, we got our VHS player in 1986, so I was five. And wow. Waiting I, that. Then it wasn't four months then. It was almost a year right. before something came out. Yes. It took Forever. Forever. Yeah. That's right. And so it was always, we'd get a Disney VHS tape for Christmas. And that was right when the next one would come out, basically. That's and so funny. So waiting that year. And now I'm like, 2018. But this is how our whole lives have been. Like waiting for <laughs> stuff to come out. Waiting for it's stuff to true. come out on DVD or video. Like, huh. waiting for the Gilmore Girls reboot to show up on Netflix. And yeah. now I'm like, they have to put it on DVD because I have to own this. This has to live on my shelf with all the rest of the seasons. <laughs> I used to work in a movie theater and I would go out and buy a lot of DVDs of movies oh, that yeah. I liked, but one of my coworkers would buy every DVD. Oh. He, and, and he said eventually, he's like, I think that I'm trying to just save these for humanity. Like if something happens, I want to make sure that everyone knows that these movies exist. I have that archivist gene too. <laughs> I totally do. And so does my husband. I totally understand where it's that comes from. It's a very expensive gene. It is. Mm-hmm. Even, and we're really selective. We have only certain things that we collect and it's still like, wow, we have a lot of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I've gotten much better, I will say. Yeah. Moving a couple times will do that to you. 17 times for me. Oh, jeez. Yeah. But the other thing that really kills me is forced obsolescence. Like, 
I hate changing formats and mm-hmm. I, I don't want a digital copy of the Gilmore Girls reboot. I want a thing that can live on a bookshelf. I love digital. I love that I don't <sighs> have to look at it. Like I don't have to store it. I don't have to move it. I don't have to think about it. I don't have to... The archivist in me is like, what if there's a disaster and I you lose it? I will be in real trouble because I don't own any Miss Fisher. Oh, I don't trust None. the cloud at all. Yeah. Not at all. Not even a little bit. Oh my gosh. I live by the cloud. Mm. I know. It is terrifying to some degree. Digital media in general, I think. <laughs> tricky. <laughs> tricky, tricky. Yeah, but I mean, I've had external hard drives go bad. Those things True. are... That's still digital media, though. Yeah, it's it is. Still, well, I mean... The whole know, thing is just dodgy. My, but, but that said, there are millions of film negatives that were incinerated in the World Trade Center bombing. Right. And there were Renaissance paintings in Dresden that were vaporized mm-hmm. by bombs. So... You know what? Art is ephemeral. That's no matter true. how much you want it to be archival, it is not. <laughs> Are we even talking about the show um, anymore? I had stuff, but I have stuff okay. too. Um, okay, Dot gets freaked out by a practical joke. That's hilarious. <laughs> I, I actually thought that scene was so annoying. <laughs> I really thought the only reason for it was to get Franny out of the bedroom. Well, we can't have Franny in the bedroom now, can we? Um... There's also Jack gets jealous. Yes. Annoyingly. Yes. And she's like, hey, now. So the look that she gives him. Okay. So they're in the um, interview room. Right. Right after the cemetery, after Freddie has died. And Warwick is under suspicion because he gave Freddie the virgin's tears, which apparently killed um, Freddie. So we find out that uh, through the sanctity of the boudoir. Which is hilarious. Yes. So Warwick says, well, so much this for that. This here boudoir's <laughs> sacred. <laughs> I really love that with the accent. It was just perfect. Just screams for it. <laughs> so, so after that line is delivered, the resulting um, facial expressions of yeah. Jack's are just, they're one of, I think, my favorite parts of the entire show. Because it's I need to watch so, that again. Oh, you have to. It's it's so similar to in uh, Murder Most Scandalous when he realizes that Franny is Lulu Lorita. Oh, and it's right. that whole pro- like you can see what's going right. on in his head, right? And it's not overdone. And it's he's just a, but he's a little pouty. He's a little oh like, yeah. Well, he's he's the, he's super like he, there's judgment. There's real judgment in there. Like and you she's did like, what with him? And then so we go through that, and he's he like he loses his train of th- thought as he's you know, coming to terms with what must have happened. And then um, when he and Franny go into his office, then he's like, well, you're, I guess, getting to know work very well or something like that. And she, the look that she gives him is so perfect. Yeah. And it's so, I, I spent a lot of time thinking about that look and what it meant. There's also kind of a, a bit of a sigh and it's sort of like a, oh, okay. In this moment, you were like, all the other men well, I know. Every other like man a, who has yeah. ever lived. You're judging me for this thing that men don't get judged for. Right. And so that, that the resulting look and little sigh and just that she doesn't even say anything. And I love that too. Yeah. Because she's not going to bother to justify. Her silence is deafening. Yeah. And he right. realizes he does not have a leg to stand on here. Right. Like he's, it's none of his business. Right. And I just love how she shuts it down, but she also lets him know, I'm disappointed in you. Amen. <laughs> Amen, sister. 
Yeah. It's a nice, it's a great it's moment. Just, every time I see something about it, I just think of like Sharp's rifles. You know, Sean Bean in that has like a different lady friend every single time, sometimes more than once per yeah. episode. Every and nothing is ever made of that fact no. ever. Except no, that there's that means no he's venereal disease jokes. Right. There's no like, yeah, babies in Spain jokes. There's no, there's nothing, nothing. Yeah. Nothing well, is every, made of this. I think it's typically like you, for the male hero, it just proves that he is a real man. Right. It's and virility, not a liability. Yeah. For a woman, it's always either a liability or a judgment of her character mm-hmm. it's or the both. reason that we don't like her character right. or question what the character says because she did that and, and that it, was always my biggest beef with scandal other than the fact that the mm. plot's completely ridiculous it was always, <laughs> there was so much slut shaming in that show yeah it got marginally better over time but it's like oh americans aren't ready to not slut shame somebody it, well, it really got on my nerves when when um netflix got miss fisher did you read there was like a oh, jezebel the, article about the no. the resulting um comments i've read some of the reviews and holy cow did they slut shame yes like, i can't handle all this sex yes blah, blah, i would blah. have given it a five star except she gives it out to every guy she meets so I can't, I can't give it five yeah, stars. Yeah, because I am the moral arbiter of right. some random woman. I Fictional yeah. woman? Fictional woman. Yep. Yeah, I know. Go America. Because that, that didn't really happen. Like, that, that did not, that issue did not happen in Australia. We need to start, like, saying, you know how people say FTW now? We need to have FTL for the lose. Merca mm, for the lose. I like that. <sighs> that's us people yeah yeah her toast with jack at the end or when she oh. reads his palm uh-huh. and says i see a careful man <sighs> it's a hide his passions it. you you must have, I have it. it i just bungled that so hard <laughs> sorry i know at the end where she says in spite of a heart that runs as deep as the pacific ocean yes which hubba hubba the whole scene the whole scene. Okay. And Grabbing also, his wrist. Like, so they are sitting so close yeah. on that chaise. Yeah. So close. Yep. He's like, like practically draped like onto her. curled into each other, uh-huh. almost spooning. Drinking their martinis. Yeah. They both Out set of them beautiful, down. Is it those chartreuse? Yeah, the chartreuse yeah. glasses. Those are gorgeous glasses. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then she takes his palm and doesn't even, she's not looking at it. She's looking at him as she says that fantastic fortune or whatever mm. no ham sandwich jokes here <laughs> oh there it is like magic oh so yeah she starts out with i see a very careful man and which is a really interesting and he, is careful. he is careful he is careful is the word yeah careful is the word who professes to be cynical in the face of mysteries he can't explain and claims to have no passions in spite of a heart that runs as deep as the Pacific Ocean. Oh. I know. Right to the gut. Right yep. there. And then he leans forward, and you're like, yes? And then it's but, just... But then he's like, hmm, I don't see that. He says, all I can see is another martini. But um bum ching And... <laughs> Yeah, I was so ready. I was so ready, but no, no, of course not. But also, and like she's wearing that gold robe, which I think echoes the silver sex robe. Oh, 
Is she wearing a robe? She, well, She's it's something a, it's something drapey and robe-like. Mm, okay. Even if it isn't a true robe. Yeah, I don't think I've ever noticed what she's wearing in that scene because of the scene. Um, <laughs> yeah. But let me just say, they are so close on that chase. They are saying these deep and, like, romantical things to each other. Yeah. And they're having two martinis. And how does how does nothing happen? How does he just, like, leave her house without anything happening? No. It's like he does that, I that other time where he says, you know, maybe another time under yes. less dangerous. Murder like, all mode. Mm-hmm. Dude. Yeah. Dude. Right. So come. No. Just do it. <laughs> and he's going to drink another martini after that and I know. still be able to leave. I know. Are you kidding me? But yeah, that scene, that scene is good. Um, there was another line that I really liked and I... I have to change my notes. I have to. I have to change <laughs> my system here because it is not. I have vertical. Working. My notes are unintelligible, but I have vertical categories, so at least yeah, I know what and they category work to... for you. Mine are not working for. I know me. which column to look in at the very oh, least. Oh yeah, it's at the very beginning when um when Jack is at the cemetery and he sees Phryne peering under the sheet, mm. and I love his look. Like his he puts on that like oh man she's here but you know. He's, he's so like, yes. thrilled. Yeah. yeah. He's so thrilled. And he we actually... Didn't, we didn't talk about the autopsy. Oh, right. Well, it's not really an autopsy. It's not a, yeah. Exhumation. Yeah. Oh, but um, he says, I'm impressed. You've commandeered my case before I even knew I had one. I wrote that down, I too. I love that line. Yeah. It's great. Also, Father Grogan says dabbling in the occult is a mortal sin. He would. Go dot. He would say that. What happened to Father O'Leary? I don't know. Can't keep her priest straight. Yeah, she went back to Father Grogan. I don't. Yeah, I don't know. I smell continuity errors. <laughs> is what I smell. Well, because then Father O'Leary does their wedding, and yeah, I don't know. Um, I do have a few other notes. First of all, okay. um, I love when so Bert has coined Mrs. Baloney, which is hilarious, <laughs> but he also said bloody conchy. And you know what he's referring to mm-hmm. there, a conscientious objector. Yeah. And I love that Mr. Conchi turns out <laughs> to be this like seven foot. T- like, where do they find these guys? He like, like unfolds himself as he stands right. up and Bert's like, oh shit. <laughs> Is there something in the water in Australia? Do they, ha- do they like just have a bunch of enormous guys? And then, so the other thing that I noted was the, um, the music. Hmm. So, you know, early on in the first season, we had the out-of-tune piano for Dot's romance. Mm-hmm. Now we have the uh, the out-of-tune piano whenever things get creepy, which started with the the finale of the last season. Yes. And, and it paired with the saw, which is there anything creepier than a saw? Ugh. Playing the saw? Yeah. The... <laughs> but the, there's also some sort of stringed instrument that I can't... Hmm. It's almost like a... It's not a harpsichord, but it's something weird... Something stringed hmm. that reminds me. I, so I have a Victorian era Japanese puzzle box. Do you know what those are? No. They were, you come across them every so often. Um, they're made out of, they're beautifully made out of inlaid wood, all entirely piece by hand. They're made in Japan. People used to bring them back from 
starting with trade in the Victorian era, and then people would go over, you know, during World War II, people would bring them back. And they, there are varying levels of quality and complexity. And generally, the cheaper ones are simpler, and the very expensive ones are very difficult. And the puzzle boxes are these wooden boxes and that are hollow on the inside, and there's a puzzle to get into them. And it's always tricky when you buy them secondhand, which is how you find them now, hmm. you don't know how they open, and you have to figure it out. <laughs> And it's usually a series of steps that have to go in a certain order. Okay. And the cheaper ones like that are sold to tourists generally only have one or two secret steps to open them. But there are puzzle boxes that exist that have hundreds or even thousands of steps to open to get to whatever is in there. And mine, I think, is a six or seven step box. And I had to sit there and puzzle it out and figure it out. And I'm not a big, I don't have a lot of patience for puzzle. So I was like, I just bought this because it's beautiful. But, you know, I did figure it out. But it's, you know, first you have to like move. It's all hidden because it's inlaid wood. So the mechanism is hidden within the pattern of the inlaid wood. We should just put, we should put pictures of these on the website because it's really hard to explain. But so, you know, you pull this panel that you can't see because of the, the inlaid wood. And then that allows you to pull out this drawer, which allows you to lift up the thing, which allows you to rotate the lever. And, and then you finally get to the compartment. So people would hide things in here or sometimes they're just a game. The one that I have has a compartment that you get to, but then below that, there's another little secret compartment that pulls out and there's a stringed panel that pulls out. And when you pull the stringed panel out, it plucks the strings and makes this very bizarre sound. Really? Which sounds exactly like the creepy <laughs> stringed thing that happened when the music got creepy. That was the longest tangent that of my life. That is so funny. So there's, there's your musical instrument, a puzzle box. It's a puzzle box. <laughs> okay. I think I before you post box. this, I need to find, see if I can find the puzzle box. I yeah, think it's totally. packed away somewhere and then maybe I can pull it out. And, yeah. And or just like find a picture online of a puzzle I box I think I could, we could like record the little like. <gasps> That'd be so cool. If I can find it. Yes. Okay. That'd be great. Sorry, that was a no. That's really. I am funny. so not on my game. Like, I'm not either. Whining about the election, and then the, I'm like, not either. Trying like, to describe I, a Japanese puzzle box. I thought we would probably end up talking about the election. I had all these things I was going to say. I said none of them. I said everything else poorly. Stick with us, listeners. We'll get better next time. Yeah, we'll be better next time. There were some other great lines, and one of them was when Bert gets punched by the bloody conchi. <laughs> And he right. says, since when, does a pacifist, yeah, since when does a pacifist go around breaking other blokes' noses? So good. And then so he calls good. he calls Phryne a Sheila. Yeah. And I think it's the only time uh, yeah. he's ever done it. It's and like, then, you notice how all of the um, stereotypical Australian sayings all come from Bert? Mm-hmm. He's the one who also says, good eye. Yeah. When he shows he's, up. He's representing. Yeah. Representing. Yeah. Panda bloody bear. (laughs) (laughs) And then a Sheila henpeck me when I'm down. Sheila. Bloody hell. (laughs) Oh, Sheila. That's one of the most, one of the more annoying, sort of, I think that's like the the Australian equivalent of get her done. (laughs) I want to, I keep meaning to look that word up. Like, I know that it's a derogatory term. For a woman. For a woman. I'm trying to figure out what the American equivalent would be. So I can better understand how derogatory it is. I think it's chick. Yeah. It's it's not it's not it does correct me if I'm wrong, Australian listeners, but it doesn't feel like it's sexual. It feels like a like a condescending kind of paternal thing, like little yeah. girl. Like and you it can't handle that, you're just a Sheila. Seem as sharp as like bitch. 
you know? Yeah, it's like not, it's not as, no, it's not pointed. I think mm-hmm. it's more, it's, it's too, it's diminutive. Mm-hmm. I think that, yeah. I think that's what offense, what is offensive about it. Okay. It's, it's diminutive, but okay. not in a super pointed way. Right. You know, like an offhanded paternalistic air kind of, that's how I've always read it. I do think it's hilarious where um, Franny, there's a scene where Franny is holding up a magnifying glass. It's like quintessential mystery show. Mm. Where is, when, which scene is that? She's in Jack's office. They're looking at the photograph yes. of the victim at the cemetery, I think. The watchman. Yes. And, and then she blood. sees the blood splatter on the inside of the door. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Yes. It's tiny little detail. Oh, also tiny little detail. I love Jack's wooden in tray. With the dovetailed joints on the corners, I'm like, that's a nicely crafted in tray. It's like that stuff doesn't even exist. For the, for what, from what I noticed, like, I can't remember I, any plot points, but I just go straight to stuff like that. I I I have no recollection of that at all. <laughs> Tie tacks and in trays. That is that, so funny. I love when they're in his office. I think it's right after she's like given him the wordless chastisement about. Mm. Um, sleeping with work and then uh the cemetery guy comes to like oh, get his statement he's taken. like banging on the counter yeah, he's like let's get this over with and jack is like ah mr beale and he gets up and he like he says it in this really funny saved by the bell jaunty kind of way yeah that he never says yeah, anything else jack but, is not aw. ever jaunty no it's so funny yeah he's got he's kind of loose in this one in a lot of places yeah. that are very fun. Like he's a lot more expressive. With the plate. I love the plate. Um, yeah. At the beginning when he's being introduced to Mrs. Bolkonski and Warren, Warwick Hamilton, um, you see him in the background totally rolling his eyes while Warwick is like blowing smoke at Franny. Yeah. And um, he's just, he's got some really fun expressions. Yeah. And he's I think pretty sassy season, in this one. Like, Season one, he was pretty buttoned up with all of that, very restrained, and I think it comes out a little bit more in season two, which is yeah. also partly why I think yeah. it's such a fun season. We don't have much Hugh in this episode, but I do think it's no. funny that they're she and Jack are geeking out over this dead body, and she's you know snapping parts <laughs> off and not but, fatal. And Hugh and Hugh is like nauseated yeah. while she's rattling around this guy's <laughs> skull. <laughs> well, he goes into the cemetery, into the you know what what do you call the crypt crypt yes yeah the crypt with the um that with mr beal who i love by the way he is such a funny character oh right he's like yeah. this guy isn't going anywhere yeah. he, <laughs> well he is. except yes but hugh can't even look like he's so disgusted by the entire thing yeah. it's so funny poor hugh. I really, he, yeah he's just his expressions are flawless every time i love him oh franny does have some entertaining greyhound sculptures on her mantle <laughs> Really? Yeah. It's whatever room she's in. It's, we still haven't figured out the floor plan. We no. need to do this. Whatever room she's having her toast with Jack in, it's not in the window this time. It's... Oh, the nightcap scene? Yes. So they're on the chaise. That's not in the parlor? Maybe I'm mixing up my scenes because I think it's still daylight when we see the oh, greyhound. Okay. We see a mantle behind her. Yeah. A white mantle, but it's not the main fireplace. It's a some huh. auxiliary fireplace somewhere <laughs> in the house and huh. it has a bouquet of flowers or roses or something in it the, might be the dining room maybe i think it's the dining I room i think you're right yeah because then do, it's got this pair of white it's like do you remember friends well they had when joey had that giant joey and chandler had that giant ugly 
80s white greyhound sculpture in the oh, in right. their apartment. Yeah, yeah, this yeah. was these were like miniature versions of that. Which those 1980s greyhounds were <laughs> replicas of Art Deco greyhounds. So it's, right. it all comes full circle. <laughs> <laughs> so I love that Freddie requests Jack's presence at the seance very conveniently, so that we can see Jack at the seance. He's of like, course. an inspector, you need to be there. You need answers too. Like, yeah. We need okay. a plot device. Exactly. <laughs> but when they sit down and when he holds Franny's hand, once again, have you seen Sparks. how huge his hands are? I mean, I am we just, have t- no comment. We have talked about no this. Comment. We have talked about this already. But I, every <sighs> once in a while, am just blown away mm-hmm. by the difference. And he. Yeah, like I know it's it's supposed to be a spark moment, but I'm I like, know, no. what? How did? How is that physically possible? I also have a thing for hands and oh. his hands in particular. Oh my. Yeah, you're in trouble. I know it's. I can't like palpitations. <laughs> oh geez, it's the reason why I love Egon Schiller paintings because <laughs> the hands, these gorgeous hands. Oh my god, oh, can't that's handle funny. it. Yeah, I, uh, yeah. Well. I had a crush on a guy in college that I never even spoke to, but it was only because he had the most beautiful hands. And they too were like, they were like these really big, long fingered piano hands. And I'm like, oh, it's a goner. That's so funny. Yeah. It's less creepy than a foot fetish. (laughs) (laughs) Glad that I can be slightly less creepy for you. (laughs) That's really funny. Yeah. Yeah. You were in trouble. I know. Yes. I have been since the beginning. Yeah. Haven't we all? <laughs> Catch so, Mary later at her 900 number. <laughs> what am I going to do? I'm going to talk about Miss Fisher. That's, yeah, yeah. That's, that's the service I provide. Have you seen Lord of the Rings? Let me describe this scene to you. Let's geek out. <laughs> that's what I'm doing right now, yeah. actually. Yeah, that is the sultry, sultry geek out. Okay. I do have a potential toast. Oh, right. The toast. So when... I think it was Warwick Hamilton asked Phryne if she's a believer or an agnostic. Mm-hmm. And she says, well, I, I keep an open mind. So I feel like, I think especially in the light of us talking about the election yeah. and I think maybe we should toast to keeping an open mind. That's perfect. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> That sounded like we clinked buckets. 